Exodus chapter 16, we'll just turn back to that passage that we read a little earlier. I'm sure when you read along with me, you recognize the repetition of one particular word, that's murmuring. And that's simply what we've entitled the message this morning. Let's just unite our heart in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee again for thy presence. We bless thee, Lord, for the opportunity we have to sing even our praises unto thee. And, O God, we realize, Lord, that we are on a journey. And, O God, for many, Lord, there are the trials, there are the tribulations, there are the afflictions, but, Lord, there also are the joys along that pathway. And, O, we pray that we might, Lord, apply the word even to our hearts as we look at the children of Israel today. And, Lord, as we guide Lord, ourselves as a way through these verses, Lord, come with us, praying that thy Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Thou would show us, Lord, of the things of Christ. Thou would, Lord, minister unto each of our hearts. Give us that word that we need this morning. O oh God, I pray to that end, thou would fill me with thy Spirit and with power. Give me words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words. And I pray that every soul would, Lord, have a word from thee, and no soul would go away untouched. We ask these things in our Savior's precious name. Amen. If they didn't realize it, then they soon were too. They were on a journey. We have considered something already of that, for there was the deliverance of the nation of Israel from the land of Egypt, And we can consider it in terms of being miraculous thus far. But for the wilderness journeys, uh, there was a mystery with that. The multitudes had traveled three days without water. And then when they found some water, it had deceived them. It was too bitter. They couldn't drink it. But even at the place that was called Mara, which means bitterness, there, there was to be another miracle For when Moses was to cast the tree that the Lord showed him into the waters, those waters were made sweet. And it was there also that God spoke to them. And Israel were to understand that obeying his threefold counsel, as it is found in verse 26 of chapter 15, then there was hope for them. The promise was that the Lord would not put the diseases that was common among the Egyptians upon them. And so he reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that healeth thee. How similar I thought to Elijah. Remember Elijah after the great victory in Mount Carmel when he journeyed and he went to Horeb. He despaired of life. And the Lord was to meet with him. And the Lord was to call unto him even while he was in the cave. Oh, Elijah wanted the Lord to call him home. Elijah was in the place of despair. He thought his ministry was over. But it was there that the Lord met with him. And he was to hear the still, small voice of the Lord to his soul. And as God spoke to him, his spirit and his ministry was revived. He realized that God had some kings and he had a prophet that had to be anointed. He realized that he wasn't on his own. He realized he was told, have you not considered there's 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal? 
Men and women, oftentimes the circumstances of life may say there's no way out. The clouds that overshadow us seem to shut out the light of God. Even people who mean well can say things at times that only encourage that spirit of hopelessness. But when the Lord speaks, when the Lord comes by, when the Lord gives his counsel to the weary soul, he makes a way where there is no way. His word encourages faith and hope. And Israel ought to have understood that within a very short space of time. And that is what we're brought to consider at the very beginning of this new chapter, chapter 16. It says, and they took their journey from Elam. We've got to stop there. We've got to pause and consider even those words in particular that place before we proceed further along the way in this journey with them. And because, here's the thing, we haven't thought upon Elam. And the Holy Ghost has put this name in here. And he's put a little detail about this place in here because it was a place of significance. Where we left the children of Israel was at Marah. But now it says, and they took their journey from Elam. And so we've got to stop and we've got to think of it. I have just a couple of points this morning, a couple of uh, uh, markers. I want you to notice, first of all, the place of contentment. It's a mixed bag. I trust you understand that as far as the start of this wilderness journey was concerned. Oh, there was misery of having no water. And then, of course, there's the miracle when the waters were made sweet. But for the nation, they were still in the wilderness. They're still there. And their needs were real. We know nothing about of living what it would be to live in a wilderness. Physically. But they're in this wilderness. And they're going to be a long time in the wilderness because, of course, of their unbelief. But they're very much in the wilderness now. And leaving Mara, they continued to go into the desert. And it could have been that with that onward march that the unbelief and the lack of faith and the doubts may have arisen again. But just, just six miles later, They come to an oasis. Just draw your eye up before the natural chapter division to the last verse in chapter 15. says this, verse 27, And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. In the midst of the better experience, there was a sweetness of contentment about to unfold before them. They came to this place called Elam. You see the provision that is noted there in that dry, arid desert. This was a place where was no less than 12 wells of water. That speaks of nothing else, of the abundant provision that was at hand. And besides that, the, the wells had already been dug. You'll remember, maybe if you don't turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you remember what the nation had been told about the promised land. This land that now they were on their journey toward. A, a, a land that was just a short distance away. Well, you might say it took them 40 years to get there. Yes, but that doesn't take away from the fact it was only a short distance away from it. 
Do you see Deuteronomy? I'm diverting here a little. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Look at verse 2. It says there are 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. Just 11 days. And they could have been in the land of Canaan. From Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was on the very border of the land of Canaan. Just 11 days away. But of course of their unbelief they never entered in and it took them another 40 years. Just 11 days. And six days from Mara they came to Elam. That's, that's over half. Just the same again. And they would have been from Mount Horeb in the land of Canaan. That's hard to take in, isn't it? But do you remember what they were told about the promised land? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, Vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not when thou shalt have eaten and be full. There was be a land with all those blessings. And they wouldn't have to provide. They were already provided for them. They wouldn't have to dig the wells. The wells were already dug. Here we might suggest was a preview. A little pre-Canaan experience, if you like, of what they would enjoy in that land. It was an earnest of the greater blessings that they would enjoy. They must, that must have been a real encouragement and something that was such a blessing to them. Here they've come six miles and they come in this oasis and there's 12 wells of water and they hadn't to dig them already there. The number 12 commentaries, of course, have uh, gone their ways. They've given their suggestions as to what the significance of it is. And some will think, oh, well, there's a reference there to the 12 tribes of Israel. That's good. Maybe there's others and they will say, well, there was provision for every month of the year, 12 months of the year. But men and women, while we're not going to be dogmatic in any of those, it does suggest to us if nothing else, that this was abundant provision. They served as forerunners to what God had promised them in that land that he was taking them to. Houses that were full, vineyards that were already planted, wells that were already dug. And dear people in Christ, we have that abundant provision here on earth. There is but a little preview of what one day we shall enjoy in that glory land. He has said himself, that is the Savior. I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. If you're not saved this morning, you're not living life to the full. Christ came to give abundant life. There are times, you know, where we can have a little taste of heaven and earth. Such as the nearness of God. Such as the blessing that he bestows upon us. It's a little foretaste of the greater that is to come. Let's not get too attached to this old world. Let's ever have in our mind's eye even that eternal glory land. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. 
We can't fully take it in. This old world will peel away in insignificance in comparison. And you know, Paul comes to the church, the believers in the church at Ephesus, and he brings a little of it out. Ephesians chapter 1. And the words of verse 13, he, he has started to speak to them about the blessings that they have enjoyed, blessings of redemption, of course, blessings of being part of the family of God. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. He says in verse 13, in whom ye also trusted. Now don't forget they're Gentiles. He's writing to Gentile believers. In whom? In whom? Salvation is not in a church or a thing. It's in a person. In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth. That's how you can be saved, child, young person. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. After that ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. God came in. God took up residence. Verse 14, which is the earnest? If you like, the guarantee. You know, when you go and buy some of the white goods for the kitchen, you'll ask the the salesperson, what guarantee is there with that? And you might get a year. And you might get two or three years. You know what happens? The old thing breaks down about three days after the guarantee's up. And that's the same word, which is the earnest, the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. God, the Holy Spirit, has come and abided in your heart. He is the earnest. He is the guarantee of that greater inheritance that God has for every one of his people. And here's a little preview of what the children of Israel are going to enjoy in the land of Canaan. Not only the, the, the provision, notice the palms. Verse 27 again, they came to Elam where there are twelve wells of water, three score and ten palm trees, seventy palm trees. And this large grove of trees would have given excellent cover and shade from the heat of the sun. Someone said that the leaves of the palm trees could barely be ten foot in length. The people had plenty of water and now they have plenty of shade from the, from the palm trees. You see, the Lord is able to give us abundant blessings for the time that he has allowed for us here on this earth. The shady palms must have been a comfort. There must have been a protection for them in their pilgrimage. And you know, that same comfort is to be enjoyed by the people of God. Doesn't the psalmist remind us? He speaks of the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps and he is our keeper and the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. Shall not cause the sun to smite thee by day nor the moon by night. He gives that protection and the one who is welcomed into Jerusalem with the palm trees that were spread before him is the same Lord. He's the same king that is able to give that welcoming relief to his people amidst the heat and the trials of our life's journey down in this world. God has a way of balancing out our maras of disappointments with our elims of encouragements. He's able to balance our pain with pleasure. He's able to balance our heartaches with happiness. 
Wasn't that so even in the earthly ministry of the Savior himself? You, you come with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, you'll, you'll, you'll know as, as one who reads the scriptures as the chapter where the Lord comes and faces the trial in the wilderness, the devil's temptations. And he's tempted by Satan three times over. As the young people were even made reference to the other night, the Lord answers by the word. On Thursday evening, the boys and girls were taught that. The Savior answered, Thus saith the Lord, or thus saith the word of God. But look at verse 11. The great temptations, the Mara, if you like. It says, Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, think of this, stop and think. Angels came and ministered unto him. There's the Elam. After he was tempted of the devil, this is the person of God, the Son. The angels came and they ministered unto him. Child of God, when the trials beset you, be encouraged to know that oftentimes God is just an Elam down the road a little from you. For you. You notice the pleasantness here in verse 27. And it says, And they encamped there by the waters. As a nation, they were sojourners. A sojourner is one who doesn't reside, he's always on the move. Lot was meant to be a sojourner in Sodom. He ended up being in it, dwelling in it. The children as a nation were sojourners. Where they, when they were to come to this place, there was a resting. The phrase is that is used as they encamped there by the waters. That is, they did not take up permanent residence, but they dwelt there for a time. They could rejoice in it, but their journey wasn't finished to Elam. They not only were blessed with the water and with the shade, but to them it was a place of contentment. It was a place of satisfaction. They were in a place where they could be renewed and where they experienced a season of refreshment in the very wilderness. Is there not a lesson for us? The proper perspective of our Lelams ought to be remembered. It provides healing from the wounds of the past. But you know, it also gives us help for the future battles that are yet to be faced. Christ's sufficiency is greater than all our sorrows and all our bitterness. The place called Calvary is where we find rest. It's where we find contentment in our souls. Most of all, those seasons of refreshment. Elam speaks of the satisfaction that God gives to those who are walking with him in obedience. And the joy of heart and satisfaction of soul. It comes to us through the ministry of the word. You see, there's an interesting little comparison that can be made here with the numbers. I'm not big into spiritualizing everything, but you just think of the numbers in that one verse. So we have 12 wells of water and we have 70 palm trees. Those two numbers are in association together. But you go to Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, verse 1 of each chapter, they're found the same as well. 
Because Luke chapter 9, the Lord chose 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1, he sent out other 70. Two numbers again. Association. And men and women, it speaks to us maybe of service. And those chosen by the Lord provided good service. They went out two by two into the cities, etc. But so did the well. So did the palm trees here in Elam for the people of God. Service not only includes the provision of water of life for the soul. But it also means providing shade. Providing comfort. Coming alongside that other brother or sister in Christ in a hard time. And giving that word of encouragement for life's pathway through this wilderness. Bear ye one another's burdens. Is what the apostle exhorted the people of God in Galatia to do. There's a place of contentment. But I know... We've got to go on, and I want you to see also the plague of complaining. Like any on the journey, there are the landmarks to look out for. And so for Israel, we've already given some details. We have spoke about the place, the other side of the Red Sea. We have come to Mara. We have also now considered that place that the Holy Ghost speaks about at Elam. The next one to be noted is the wilderness of sin. You would turn over to Numbers chapter 33, verse 10, just for a moment. Here in these verses is a a little itinerary, if you like, the list of the landmarks. And it speaks going back where they came from and to and all the rest of it. We, we have Marah in verse 9. We have Elam in verse 9. It says in verse 10, And they removed from Elam and encamped by the Red Sea. And they removed from the Red Sea and encamped in the wilderness of sin. When they left Elam, they navigated close again to the Red Sea. Maybe a little bay. They were moved from there and into the wilderness of sin. There was nothing of significance about that uh, visit to the Red Sea or else it would have been included in our portion in, in Exodus chapter 16. It was just maybe another final look at that river, that sea that they had conquered by dry, dry shod, walked across in dry ground. It was a, a last opportunity to remember what they had witnessed there, how the enemy was defeated. But coming away from the Red Sea, they come now into the wilderness of sin. But what is notable is the exact timing that is given even in the words of verse 1. For it says, And all the children of the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. It's the fifteenth day of the second month. They had left Egypt on the 15th day of the month of Bib. And the Lord said to them it would be the beginning of months to them. That was where New Year's Day would be, if you like. That's where their calendar started. And now exactly one month later, they're in the found in the wilderness of Zin. 
That takes in the travels up to Mara. That takes in the, the time of encampment at the place called Elam. It may have lasted into a few weeks there. But here's the significance. Last month they had been miraculously delivered. This month they had forgotten all about it. For as we proceed into the words of verse 2, they're given to murmuring. How fickle man really is. You may have thought that we would have done with the plagues, and we have as far as those in Egypt were concerned. But men and women, here is a plague that had come upon Israel, and it's that of murmuring. I suggest to you that it was perpetual. Here were some, the same people that had been divinely spared from the plagues in Egypt. The same people who had been brought from the land of bondage through the Red Sea, who had been divinely guided by the cloudy pillar, who had been protected both day and night. Now they're murmuring. Now they're complaining. Now they have that rebellious spirit. The Israelites were addicted to murmuring. When the trouble arose, when some crisis was encountered, like it was with the water at Marah, Israel perpetually were to begin to murmur. They had murmured at the Red Sea. They had murmured when there was a lack of water. Now they murmur again when they think that there's a shortage in the food. They had formed a bad habit. And one which only increased the pain in their trial. And so it is with the plague of murmuring to this day. It's a habit that needs to be broken. It needs to be overcome if we desire to have that joy and that peace in the journeys of life. It's a habit that needs to be conquered if we want to overcome our troubles instead of being overcome by them. Thomas Brooks is a Puritan. He said this, I give you a short quote. Every murmurer is his own martyr. He's a murderer. He kills many at once. His joy, his comfort, his peace, his rest, his soul. It's a plague. You see something else that is true about murmuring. It's contagious. Look at verse 2. The whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Tells us the whole congregation were guilty. Here's one of the most contagious character diseases that is known to man. The murmuring had quickly spread until the whole congregation was involved. Is that not the case to this day? A murmurer causes others to join in. And you know, so it was in the New Testament times. There's nothing new under the sun. You read of Judas. You come to John's account of that. John chapter 12, for example. And the words are verse 4. It speaks about that time where Mary came with a precious ointment for the Savior's anointing. It says, verse 4 of John 12, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said. Holy Ghost gives us the understanding why he asked that question. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Why was this ointment so not sold for 300 pence? That was a year's wages, by the way. There's Judas Iscariot complaining, murmuring at the act that Mary had done. Now, if you come over to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 26 of that, 
You'll see verse 8 and verse 9. It says, giving you the course of the woman with the alabaster voice, the previous ver- box in the previous verse. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when his disciples saw it, not just Judas, you see, it's contagious. It's contagious. Judas, he was the first one off. But they all complained. Dear child of God, you need to guard against this plague and you can do that with a daily daily being found in the word of God. Otherwise you will easily be infected by it and the danger is of becoming sour. The danger is of becoming disagreeable and even an unhappy believer, an unhappy person. Always murmuring. Bear in mind, this murmuring happened only a short while after the Lord miraculously had changed that water, those bitter waters, to being sweet. How quickly it is prone to set into the human heart. And of course today we have those things called social media. And it just spreads all the quicker. It just spreads all the quicker. Good news doesn't spread quick, but bad news does. Murmuring does. You might consider how unjustified this murmuring really was. Israel had no just reason to complain. They had witnessed already just a month in since they left Egypt many evidences of God's care for them so that murmuring was totally unjustified. The ten plagues. Their deliverance by the strong arm of God, the sweetened waters, should have silenced Israel's murmurings forever. God's past blessings and deliverances were great, and it only made their murmuring all the more unjustified. One man said this, whenever we are tempted to murmur, there are always two things at least that we forget. Just listen to this. We forget what we deserve at the hands of God, nothing but punishment. And we forget all the mercy and love which he has shown us in his acts and in his promises. I think that's good. It's a good summary. Israel had forgotten their past blessings. Israel had forgotten their fact that they didn't deserve any one of them. And neither do we. We don't deserve the least of the Lord's mercies. We're just old sinners saved by grace. Just how ridiculous and how exaggerated murmuring can become is noted from what they said in verse 3. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh plots, when we did eat bread to the full, for you brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They not only accused Moses and Aaron of bringing them into the wilderness to kill them. And we'll touch on that just in a moment. But they're also guilty of using the Lord's name in vain in an oath. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Would to God. If that wasn't bad enough, I believe we see that they were engaged in telling lies in their murmurings. They said, there we sat 
by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full as slaves to the Egyptians there is no evidence that those claims were ever true Egypt wasn't as nice as the murmurs made on made it out to be they were slaves there they were continually suffering evil treatment there They were commanded to throw their children into the Nile there. They were to produce a quantity of bricks that was physically impossible when they had to gather the straw to make them there. They were not sitting beside flesh pots. They were not eating bread to the full. Matthew Henry said, none talk more absurdly than murmurs. There are many today And you know they're experts at ignoring the advantages and magnifying the disadvantages of a good situation. And vice versa. I'll say that again. They're experts at ignoring the advantages and magnifying the disadvantages of a good situation. And you know the the biggest culprit is the media. The liberal media. You know, we do well just to recall a little word that God says. It's found in Isaiah 5 and 20. It says this. You might want to mark it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. There's a summed up. And God says, Woe unto them. The woe of heaven is upon them. That don't enlarge the advantages of the Lord's blessing on a province, but minimize it. And exalt their own liberal views in its place. Call good for evil. Evil for good. The other aspect which I close with. And must be noted is their unbelief in their murmuring. They, they speak at the end of verse 3 of Moses and Aaron. Having brought them into the wilderness to kill them with hunger. You know that's nothing but dressed up wicked unbelief. Wasn't Moses and Aaron who brought them into the wilderness? It was Jehovah. It was God who brought them out. And he brought them out that he might bring them in. He was the one that had promised that they would worship him at Sinai. Exodus chapter 3 verse 12 unto Moses he said certainly I'll be with thee and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God says the nation of Israel Moses you're going to bring them to this mountain and they're going to worship me there. And that being so that's God's promise you see. And that being so, 
it was impossible for them to die with hunger in the wilderness. Because God had given his word. They're going to worship me at the mountain. Murmuring often doubts God's word and is unbelieving at his promises. Dear loved one, you have no just cause to doubt God's word. Whether you're a Christian this morning or whether you're still in your sin, I'll tell you why. Because God is faithful. He doesn't go back on his promises. And was that not seen with Christ? In giving his only begotten son, that one day he might go to the Calvary, he set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. He gave his very life on that middle cross, being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross itself. And he did it for sinful, lost mankind. We have no reason to murmur against the Lord. And unconverted loved one, you have no reason to doubt God's promises. In salvation, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He'll not turn you away. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you take him at his word this morning? I wonder, am I preaching to a murmurer? It's my prayer that instead of, instead of murmuring, that you would go forward with God. Go forward. May the Lord bless his word even to our hearts for his own name's sake this morning. 434. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, of words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Page 352. Let's just stand as we sing it, please.
God and our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We bless the Lord that as thou didst lead Israel, so thou didst lead thy people. And Lord, thou art faithful. Thank the Lord every promise in the book is mine. Thank the Lord it is yea and amen in Christ. And thou art, Lord, faithful to thy word. Save us, Lord, from doubting it. Save us, Lord, from uh, being plagued with a murmuring spirit. But, O God, we pray that, uh, Lord, that we as an individually and as a congregation, we might desire to go forward with God instead. Teach us these lessons, Lord. Oh, we recognize we just uh, have the old human heart still traversing through this old wilderness. But, Lord, help us to keep our gaze even affixed upon uh, thee in these days, and that we might feed well on thy word. Speak to those yet unsealed. Have mercy upon them. Lord, may this be a day of God's salvation. Part us with thy blessing now. And bring us home safely, Lord. Bring us back, Lord, again tonight with a desire to, to be fed in thy word. O oh God, do us good this Sabbath. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.